Hello, everybody. This is Paul Dolsky from the Everything Horror Podcast, joined by the lovely fiance, Tessa Baker. And we are also joined by the co co assistant host, Shilsey Pure Giver. And we are joined today by the lovely people of DK Mag. We got Ken and we got Stacy. Hi, uh, good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Ken Artuz here from DK Mag. Yeah. Hello, Stacy Cox from DK Mag. And finally, we got the legendary man behind Unlifted Owner, where you better run or you better cry or you better fall down and die. Jed Bryan. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on, guys. No, oh, of course. <laughs> Thank you. It's always a good time talking horror. It's always a good time talking horror with everybody, that's for sure. Absolutely. I, and speaking of horror, let's talk about the first topic that we have tonight, which I think Stacy might need to start this one off from what I heard. Oh, from- really? <laughs> 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 wow, Stacey, wow. you're on the seat. One, two, three. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, um, Stacey, so. I, um, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the Child Play remake? There we go. <laughs> well, I actually have conflicting thoughts because uh, Child Play is one of my favorite franchises um, of all time. I've literally watched the film so much that I can, like, recite them in my sleep. So uh, and Chucky is one of my favorite horror icons. Um, now, as far as remakes are concerned, I'm my, sentiment, my sentiments is like a lot of people. Um, I hate the thought of a remake, especially when uh, I read that they're going to rush it. It just, uh, it, it takes my excitement down a lot. Yeah, um, uh, I, I know we talked about it on your show, and then I'm pretty sure everybody here uh, can agree that some remakes just need to, dis- or if not all remakes, just need to stop. Uh Speaking of which, Jed, what are your thoughts on the Child Play remake? Well, I, I'm not a big proponent. Like, you know, I mean, I, I'm a filmmaker myself. I, I love original content. I love new, exciting things. And, uh, I, I mean, does anyone know, is Brad Dourif even going to be in this one? Or, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if he's not, it's going to be just like the Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, remake where, you know, you didn't even have Robert England in it. And it's just, you know, I think if you're going to do something like that, if the actor's still around and still able to act, you should at least have them in it. And um, I, I don't know, my wife, her favorite was Chucky, and she is not very thrilled about it. I mean, I mean, I'll wait until the trailer comes out and just kind of look at it and see what it know what it looks like but as far as remakes go i'm not a big fan of them i like original horror content especially considering i'm an original horror content creator myself so that's kind of my two cents on it child play i think they should really just leave it alone i love the original chucky and you know how they brought chucky from a toy box not knowing anything about this particular doll 
and how possessed he really was until later, further on in the child's play movie. So, pretty much like, you know, that whole genre of the making of Chucky and things like that should just, like, be left alone and not remade to a further different, completely different storyline of how Chucky was actually possessed. I only know Ken, what Ken's going to say, so I might as well just get Ken out of the way. So, Ken, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Child Play remake, if not anything Chucky? Well, if for those who may not know, Don Mancini, he posted a tweet, and I don't know, Twitter is as reliable as Wikipedia, but just to put it out there, Don Mancini created Chucky, and he is pulling through with a TV series, so on his tweet, he just posted a gif, uh, ch- a staticky little uh, gif with a Chucky face. As Charles played a TV series, do not adjust your set. This was posted June 22nd, 2018. Now, for the Chuck Charles Play franchise, also Universal owns the rights for Chucky. So MGM is pushing through with another reboot i don't know how they got around that in any event we have a director lars klevberg uh he directed polaroid which is another horror film that we haven't seen uh or heard any word from and it's interesting because we have the script written by tyler burton smith and he wrote he wrote kung fury now, whoever didn't see that, I suggest you do. It's a funny little short. Uh, it's on YouTube. Reboots, to me, it is uncreative. Hollywood is remaining so stagnant. So a film to TV adaptation is a wrong move. Hannibal, 12 Monkeys, The Exorcist, Psycho, they all failed. This one is going to fail as well. Guarantee it. It's not going to pass season two. Uh, reboot. You can't bring back the 80s. You can't bring back the 70s. We're in a different era. Uh, It's not going to have that same impact. So for me, I'm going to give this a pass. Even by reading the description of this film that I have in front of me, it's just idiotic. So, yeah, I'm not going to be tuning into this. Yeah, um, I did see earlier, too, like what you were saying, too, about that gif of Static about a message to MGM. There was another one, too, if you saw, I think it was on, like, Twitter or Instagram, where they posted Chucky with a sign that says, don't don't remake me or else, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So it almost reminded me of... uh, Robert England with the sign that says, um, you know, what was it, 2010, whatever, remake sucks. Like, it just kind of reminded me of that, which I thought was uh, interesting. So, uh, last but not least, for about the remake anyway, is the lovely Tessa. Tessa, what are your thoughts on this godforsaken remake of Abomination waiting to happen? You pretty much just took the words right out of my mouth. See? Um, I, everybody, everybody here should know how I feel about remakes anyways. I think I made that perfectly clear on the, uh, episode that we did with DK Mag. Um, but just as a refresher for those of you who did not hear that, uh, episode, 
I am not the biggest fan of remakes. Um, I prefer the classics, and I like the classics to be left alone. I personally detest remakes unless they're done really, really, really well, and they surpass the originals. In which case, in a few exceptions, okay, that's all well and good. But, oh, God, please, just do it right. <sighs> but, anyways, that's pretty much my take on remakes. Especially for Child's Play, being Child's Play being one of the original um, horror icons that I grew up with, uh, Chucky. And um, I was pretty disappointed with the last couple that were done. So, yeah. So, I guess one of the reasons why they want to even remake Chuck, uh, Child's Play is because of the way it had gone throughout the years. Becoming um, funny and just playing out dumb. So I guess that's why they're trying to re-bring back the quote-unquote horror, I guess. And as much as I want to agree with that, like, yeah, like, it has gone a cheesy, stupid comedy thing. But I guess, in a way, no, I, just, just for the hell of it, I'll throw it out there. Look at Coat of Chucky. And has everybody in this in this conference right now seen that movie yet? I have not seen it. Stacy, I heard you saw it two hundred times. Is that correct? Um, oh, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I no, I haven't seen it two hundred times. I've actually seen it once, and I just shook my head in disappointment because, like, when they brought out Curse of Chucky, I was like, yeah, finally Chucky's back. And then Culture Chucky, like, what the heck is this? I don't, I don't know what that was. Well, what, what does everybody thought real quick about the fact that there were two Chuckies? One, of course, was with um, Andy. And then we got the other one that was, you know, going after um, what's-her-face that I can't even remember her name right now. But... Oh, his girlfriend. Um... Anyway, what, what I'm trying to say is, so what do you guys think of the idea now that there's going to be a quote-unquote army of Chucky? So, <laughs> what? Oh, no! <laughs> Are we all in agreement on that? Yes. Just, yeah? I, I okay. think so. Um, I, I, think so. I think they should have just left it at like the 99's Chucky movies where it was about horror and just not the, any of the Bride of Chucky uh, or any of those. Chucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, <clears throat> I like the ones before Bride. I mean, I like certain elements of Bride, like some of the like some of like the kill scenes in Bride, I really dug, especially you know the waterbed with the champagne bottle and the glass mirror. I mean, that was a good one. Yeah, that's probably like some of the only good things about those other Chucky. That just some of the kills were just pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, um, way too much comedy. Then you got Gwendola or whatever. Gwenda. Gwenda, yeah. And Glenn. Uh, and then they try to make a child, Chucky. I don't know how uh, they have no sexual organ. Yeah, they're like it's science. It's science. 
You know what that was? That was an abomination to Chucky is what that was, okay? First of all, <laughs> when Ryder Chucky and Cinder Tech came out, it was an abomination. It completely, like, I don't know, it, it just made Chucky a joke. You know, it made him a whole joke. And then that Glenn, Glenda, like, what? what? No, no. I just, I was so pissed at those movies. And Peter Chucky, I was pissed. So then when they came out with Curse Chucky, I was like, yes, finally. We're getting back to how Chucky's supposed to be, and he's much more sinister, and he's more angry. And and then they screwed it all up again with Cult of Chucky. Yes. Have they, have they, no, have they no morals at all? <laughs> they just see dollar signs, oh. I think. <laughs> Uh, uh, that, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I really do think that uh, Hollywood anymore is uh, is kind of scared to you know try to put money into different original content. I mean, especially like with Disney, you know, they tried John Carter. That was kind of like an original thing for them, and it fell completely on its face. And I think they just you know these studios they just feel safe by reusing titles that already have some clout to them. So I think that's kind of like their their safe zone. I mean, you know, you look at Blumhouse, I mean, they, you know, the Jordan Peele film. I mean, there's just, there's all kinds of original content Blumhouse does. I mean, yeah, they are doing kind of a reboot for Halloween, but I mean, John Carpenter's on board and Jamie Lee Curtis. I mean, it seems like it's going to be a very interesting little thing. But I mean, you know, I just feel like Hollywood is really kind of scared to go for original content anymore. And it's sad, especially in horror. Absolutely. Agreed with the, uh, with that sector on Hollywood not being creative. And, and in my opinion, there's so many independent filmmakers such as yourself, Jeb, that are pushing the envelope and providing good horror, but it's not getting the light of day because frankly, uh, with all these reboots that is coming out, it's just everything's remaining stagnant. So it's up to the independent filmmaker to just keep creating this good stuff. And eventually... Uh, fans of Get the show lock over to the independent sector. No, that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> well, and I know Amazon just changed their um, thing there with indie filmmakers too. Kind of, sh- uh, sh- should I say, screwing them a little bit when it comes to uh, royalty, just a little bit, uh, from what I was understanding. Uh, I wish I know it was happening with uh, UK anyway, but I don't know if they hit the US yet. But Jed, I mean, your film's on Amazon. Um, have you seen or heard anything about that or for the royalties of your indie I, I, film? I, I've heard, like I said, I don't have uh, 100%, you know, uh, information because, you know, I go through a, dis- a distributor who uh, is the one that got me on Amazon and all the other platforms unlisted owners on. But I, I have heard that, uh, especially for prime rates, that they have dropped those as far as how much they pay per hour. Um, I'm not 100% because, like I said, this is just secondhand information, but I, I've heard it's like $0.15 cents every hour they watch your film on prime. 
So it'd take a lot of hours to be able to add up, you know, 15 cents to make it to where, you know, you make enough, you know, money. And there's a lot of content on Amazon. So it is very, very cutthroat competition on there, especially for the indie filmmakers. And I mean, I think the same way goes for like uh, Netflix and other streaming sites as far as, you know, if you, as long as you don't have to rent it, if you just, if it's on there to stream and they pay you per hour, I think everybody's kind of cut their rates because of the uh, amount of content that's out there, which is really, really, you know, it's really hard on the indie film industry for sure. And yeah, uh, I believe that's what the guy from the UK told us as well. It's like 15 or 10 cents for them or something like it's weird i guess it's going by region or something for is what i understood i don't know how much that of that is true but it may be going by region i guess i don't know but, which, which i don't know if maybe uh, amazon the reason they're doing this to maybe i don't know thin out the market a little bit and make it to where people will take it off prime and make it to where people actually have to make the purchase so they can make more money off of it and not have to pay as much royalties. I don't know if that's part of the reason why or what the whole reasoning behind it is. Yeah, it's hard to really say, especially in your case, you don't know the information 100%. So Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's all, like I said, yeah, it's, it's all kind of secondhand to me. Yeah. And I and I just hope like they're just I know your your um dis, distributor is trying to do probably everything they can to help you out too. I'm just hoping though that right. they they come to realize that maybe it might be time to have people rent it versus Amazon Prime, like you were saying. Like I remember right. um when we were getting ready to review or I mean interview you, Jed. We we actually had to rent it, uh, even right. though it was on Amazon Prime. But when we went to see it, they already took it off, or whoever took it off. So we had to, we yeah. had to rent it for you. And you know, I won't lie. At the time, I was just kind of like, "Oh God, I really hope this is worth the $2.99, whatever I'm renting it was renting it for." But you know. Me and Tessa had a blast, and just like we had a blast interviewing you, so you know. And that's well, I, why I, back I here. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's not appreciate like I you guys. That your your movie can go to hell and stomp on it, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys. You know, taking the time to to rent it on Amazon and everything else like that, and you know, buy the DVD and support it all you have, and the same thing with DK Mag. I mean, all the support you guys have shown unlisted owner and i mean indie filmmakers i mean we're you know we're right down there with you podcasters you know we're out there grinding every day trying to get one person just you know every day if we can get one person to look at us and just look at our content or listen to our content you know we feel like we made a difference and i mean we're we're all on the same level and you know we just got to kind of got to support each other to kind of help us get through to the get through to the next level and just kind of see where it takes us Absolutely, right. I totally agree with you. It uh, for child's play and go to toss and we're actually going to cover this topic in our upcoming podcast. And according to my sources, filming will begin in September, and they're going to follow the template from Stranger Things. That is a bunch of kids uh, that happen to stumble upon a doll 
that is technically advanced. So we're talking about a computerized Chucky, but oh, check this oh. out. Check this out. Chucky may not be called Chucky. He may have a different name. And because Universal has the rights to child's play, uh, MGM is going to film, uh, uh, actually uh, start post-production and production under a different name until the movie's about to release and then they'll call it whatever oh no all right gonna... it sounds like disaster yeah right <laughs> exactly i'm gonna what say like... disaster. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna put in my you have ended for halloween this thing is gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh Halloween. i don't even know I, I like that meme i saw when it said uh a rare photo of John Carpenter trying to explain how Halloween 40 years later fits into the timeline. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, I'll I tell you one thing. Uh, for Halloween, I don't know what exercise regiment Michael Myers had while he was incarcerated, but I would like to know because that guy's buff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my wife would He's appreciate that, I think. <laughs> See, this is what happened. After he got his eye stabbed, he spent the next 40 years getting that buff on him. How? I was drinking all that orange juice or vitamin C, Sunny D stuff, I guess. I don't know. I don't uh, know. I have no idea. <laughs> um, so, I thought Michael Myers don't eat or drink. I thought he just locked up. <laughs> and chain down goes around killing babysitters and people fornicating well that was like a the original title I believe of Halloween mm -hmm. like the babysitter, babysitter killer, killer or something yeah so that's interesting um but yeah anyway uh so next topic is um upcoming movie that's going to be released in August of this year. And it's called Summer of 84. There is a trailer, actually like three trailers for this thing right now that you can check it out on YouTube and comingsoon.net. And I guess I'm going to say is this name caught my attention a little bit, but really that poster did it for me. The, the movie poster really did it for me with the skull, with the popcorn and stuff. And then you just see it in the blood red, summer of 84. And it's just like, hmm, what could possibly be this? So, um, Ken, we'll start with you this time. What are your thoughts for summer of 84? Uh, I'm all about innovation. I, I appreciate it when independent filmmakers create something different. Unfortunately, summer of 84 is not innovative and nothing different. Alfred Hitchcock created something similar. DJ Caruso did something similar. Tom Holland did something similar. And what is the similarity? You have a nosy neighbor suspecting that his neighbor is a killer and he goes to investigate, get his friends over to uh, support his theory. And the story develops from there. Uh, with the case of Tom Holland, I believe that was Fright Night. And 
Shayla Booth starred in Suburbia. DJ Caruso directed that one. So Summer of 84 is not providing nothing for me. It doesn't... It's it, not even the retro feel. Uh, I've just seen, what, Stranger Things episode uh, season two. Uh, there was another independent film that we had reviewed. It was an, an anthology. I felt it was no originality here. Uh, kudos for good filmmaking, good cinematography. But aside from script writing, they need to go back to the drawing board. I actually like kind of what Ken said is the comparison, especially with the Alfred Hitchcock, because I'm a huge Rear Window fan. And, you know, I, I noticed that kind of correlation. And, you know, it's and also in the uh, the Shia LaBeouf movie, uh, oh, I can't even think of the name of it now, but, you know, he suspects his neighbors and murder as well. And it kind of does fall into that narrative. And it almost looks like, you know, it's kind of a reoccurring narrative with filmmakers. Like they see that, you know, whenever Stranger Things came out and whenever, you know, the new It came out. I mean, a lot of these things are taking place in the same time period of the 80s and it's just kind of i don't know to me it's kind of ironic that you know we're, we got another film or you know a project that kind of falls into that category I, I think it's kind of an interesting concept especially with the police officer being the main suspect of it and it being you know kind of like you know, a, a group of kids and stuff but i i don't know i mean it, it looks interesting I'll, I'll probably check it out but i'm not going to have my my hopes real high for it but um, and the cinematography did look excellent from from the trailer that I saw. I think it actually looks um, good. Actually, um, looks entertaining for one. It's got some. It's kind of got like a kind of Goonies feel to it a little bit. If anybody gets what gets what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, kind of has also kind of like a. Um, monster squad feel but in a serial killer sense pardon my references but that's what i'm gathering from it i think it has a lot of reference to the stranger things of how <laughs> these five kids are you know their own squad and no one adult wise knows exactly what's going on in the neighborhood besides them and they're just nosy kids like thinking that they know it all and they try to get the parents involved and the parents are not the type to understand from what I got. Well, it is interesting that uh, they're trying to save people, I guess, with the comedy that's going on mixed with everything else. Um... Like everybody kind of said, I don't need to repeat it, but yeah, there. My hope for this is like not that high, but it does look entertaining, as um, Tessa said. So it, it has my attention. I just like I usually tell say with anything really. I, as long as it does good and gets me impressed, then awesome. If not, then then it's gonna be one of those. Oh. Why the fuck did I put this on here again? Oh, uh, well, I think the trailer looks fun. So I will watch it because of that. And I agree with uh, the poster art as well. But I'm um, piggybacking off of all of you. I say it looks like so many movies that we've already seen. And uh, 
Jed, I believe the movie you were talking about with uh, Shia LaBeouf is called Serbia. Yeah, it yep, looks like right. that. It looks like, yes, it looks like Goonies. It looks like Stranger Things. It looks like pretty much all of those movies. It looks like the 80s, you know, that's coming back. And I guess I like that because I'm a big 80s fan. You know, that's where, like, pretty most of my favorite horror movies are from the 80s. So I like that. And this book is paying homage to the 80s. I guess I like that whole aspect. But uh, as far as the concept goes, it's very familiar. You know, so uh, there's definitely not really much innovation going on here. Very well said. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, final verdict, I believe that everybody has said is that it seems like it's it's something that we've already seen, but maybe we might see it, maybe not, depending on who who it is that said it and stuff. I mean, it does have, it does look like it's, it had this moment, but then at the same time, maybe they can pull it off with, like Jed said, the uh, the scenographer, uh, oh, Jesus. Cinematography. Yes. Yeah, Thank you. Um, looks good, which it does. And the idea of it seems nice, I guess. Like, it's it's Stranger Things mixed with probably, like Tessa said, Monster Squad and, like, what Jed said. It reminds him of that, of that thing that he was saying and stuff. Alfred Hitchcock. And Alfred Hitchcock is, is a really interesting person. I mean, look at his, like, cycle... <laughs> And a bunch of other films of his, which at the moment I'm drawing a brain fart on Alfred Hitchcock because every time I hear his name, I always just remember Psycho, and that's okay too. The birds, uh, yes, yeah. the birds, but yeah, this uh, movie it does it really does remind me of just like a complete you know movie mashup. Like, they they kind of like, well, if we want to make a successful movie, we could set it in the 80s because that's hot right now. Disturbia was a pretty hot film. We can add that aspect into it too, and then give him a crew kind of like Monster Squad or Goonies, and we'll just try to make like a like an ultimate mashup movie. And that's kind of like I mean that's kind of like the vibe that I feel, especially after hearing everyone talk and kind of getting you know the vibe. You know, it, it almost sounds like they just want to try to make a, almost like an ultimate movie in a way, and just kind of nitpick different little ideas from different films and just kind of like, you know, create their own, you know, thing around it, which, you know, it, it look at the trailer. I mean, there's a possibility it could be good, but also it could be just, you know, like I said, just a mashup of everything. Yeah. And it could just be a cash grab too as well. And that's why they were trying to yep. combine so many elements is to suck in those type of people that like that certain environment uh, element just to, you know, yep that cash grab and I guess uh, when it comes out in August uh, August 10th I believe I saw I saw anyway um, we'll have to judge it for ourselves Um, anybody else have any final thoughts on summer of 84 with the cinematography I'm curious to know how they created the film if they're using updated cameras like the cinema red 
and using Adobe After Effects to put the color overlays, it's not going to have that same feel. So I'd be interested to know how <coughs> you the retro feel by using older model cameras or even a lower quality camera uh, to really encapsulate the feel. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's technology. There's always ways around anything nowadays. And adding just that one little uh, tint of color can just <clears throat> um, freshen up a scene or something or maybe make it too dark or too whatever so um yeah it does make me wonder what type of film to our camcorder that they use i mean for all i know maybe they just did it on a phone and then they just upped the quality of the editing for all we know um who knows which brings speaking of camcorders that brings us to the next topic which I think I know the perfect person to start this one off. So, uh, oh man, Gad. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> what, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Like, you could say, let's say, like, Blair Witch Project Day to, I don't know, uh, name something, and I'll just agree with you when it comes to. <laughs> found footage now nowadays what are your thoughts on found footage nowadays <laughs> well i think it, it they're tr they're trying to re reinvent the wheel which i think is kind of it's it's neat to me i mean you know found footage everyone a lot of people believe that it started with the uh, cannibal holocaust and you know it's a classic film and it was you know class <laughs> it was traditionally shot intermixed with found footage and then you didn't really hear much about it until Blair Witch. And then, you know, you had the big explosion where you had all kinds of different found footage films coming out. And nothing really kind of popped out until Paranormal Activity. And then since then, you know, there's been others, you know, Grave Encounters, uh, Unlisted Owner. And, <laughs> you know, there's been all these other ones. But uh, And then Blumhouse, they've kind of, they kind of tried to reinvent the wheel again with the uh, the whole dark web and you know unfriended and all this stuff you know and i mean I, I, it's really neat and it really kind of makes you wonder you know as technology evolves like where else found footage will go especially with you know all the new technological advances that we have so i find it kind of interesting to kind of see where it goes and i know a lot of people out there don't like found footage they don't like the shaky cameras they don't like the realism of it they they want to go you know more into the traditional route but uh, found footage definitely has a place in the horror genre even if it is the you know on the lower end of people's you know radar but to me it still does have a a very big relevance in today's world especially with the evolving technology and that's kind of how what my thoughts are on it uh, well, i like your thoughts i mean you got some good points so the only thing that kind of makes me question it every time is when i hear unfriended do i really want to call unfriended a found footage movie when all it is is just a cam uh a webcam on a computer i mean <laughs> Yeah, well, if, no. you, if you look, if you look at the like the technical definition of found footage, it's supposed to be footage that is found. So if if someone happened to find it, even if it was on a computer, 
I mean, it's no different than to me. To me, anyways, it's no different than an SD card on a camera, or uh, you know, a, a reel of film in a camera. I mean, it still, you know, was recorded using a device. So to me, it, I, I think it does. But that's like my own opinion on it. That's why I think it still kind of falls into the found footage genre because it technically is footage that has been found. I mean, that that's how they present it, anyways. Right, and um, I think. Actually, I know we did talk about Unfriended a little bit on DK Mag when Tessa and I were with them, and um, we were kind of saying. So, so Jed, let me ask you real quick. What do you think? Like, and I'm gonna take it from Ken because I think I like that question a lot too. Is uh, and I or something like that, or maybe it's something that we all said. But Jed, nowadays when it comes to found footage and stuff or even the dark web now do you feel the dark web is gonna probably become the new boogeyman i'm not exactly sure if it will or not um i i mean like i said the the original you know unfriended on a on a computer was you know an interesting concept to me and now we're kind of getting into a sequel and stuff so i don't know i don't think it'll have the same you know, effect as the first one did of like, oh, this is interesting. It's a found footage film and it's all recorded via video chat through a computer. And, you know, that's what kind of intrigued me with it when I saw the first one. So the second one, I don't think, I mean, I don't know if it'll have, I don't think it'll have that same, you know, pull as the first one did because it's not like, you know, like it's not as innovative as the first one was. Well, to be honest, and uh, Ken and Stacey and everybody know my opinion anyway of the first one, which is nothing because I didn't see it. Because why? It doesn't look too good to me, to be honest. But then again, maybe I'm just becoming too picky in my uh, somewhat old age. (laughs) Well, uh, Stacey and I, we always discuss found footage from this is a reoccurring topic on our podcast. And uh, particularly in my opinion, I, I. don't like the franchise i prefer a proper well-structured uh delivery of a visual narrative with that said a character development a story development remember when you're writing a script the characters have to evolve from act one to act three most most found footage films do not follow this principle and you have to wait until the last 20 minutes of the film in order to get the the creature or the uh, whatever it is that the protagonists are looking for it just pops out out of nowhere that's not to say that there are some gems in this genre of course uh unlisted owner for example uh whenever uh found footage film comes into an, my inbox i'm like oh here we go again but in the case of unlisted owner, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And once you get a grasp on the filmmaker, what they did, how they uh, created their project, how they got their cast, how they wrote this story, then you have some insights. That, okay, now it, everything comes together as a well-tuned product. But in the case of Bloomhouse, with the film, for example, Mockingbird, uh, <laughs> what the fuck is that is garbage it just doesn't make sense so i would say there 
out of the film genre, ten percent are worthwhile. But then you have the eighty percent that you got to sort through. That is just gonna get your mind numb. I'm glad I'm part of the ten percent. Oh man! But since he said Machaber, wasn't Machaber originally a reading book? That that was supposed to be the remake of the actual reading book. You mean uh, I'm trying to think if I'm following you right? You mean like the How to Kill the Mockingbird? Yes. Um, yeah, that is Mockingbird was released in 2014. Bloomhouse released it, directed by Brian Bertino. I'm just saying, have the original story, uh, reading book that was available in high school when The Killer of the Mockingbird. It was an actual book, which I don't know. I thought maybe when, yeah maybe that thing book got turned into a screenplay kind of like uh probably everybody knows the um book by now but the uh the giver or the, or yeah the giver everybody should know maybe that book and that got finally got turned into a movie what like five ten years maybe somewhere in between there ago so i mean just i think it's just a matter of time i mean we ain't gonna bring up the horrific disaster of where the wild things are. I mean that. I mean, <laughs> we're not even gonna talk about that. But it's it's possible to happen. Well, I'm, I'm not a big. Yeah, there have been a few films that I have liked, and um, so actually, I feel like with found footage, there's so much that really can be done. Um, because what I mean, as and actually, thank you, Jed, for the technical um description of it is footage that is found, like you know, that now that makes me look at it in a whole different way. Because at first, I was looking at it as like, okay, you you take your camera or your cell phone and you film somebody just running away, running from whatever they're running from. So, I was looking at it as more like that. <laughs> And um, so now that you've given the technical definition for it, I'm looking at it at a whole different standpoint. And uh, like, take actually take uh, Unlisted Owner, for instance. Like, I watched that film, and actually I was so confused at first. I'm like, wait a minute, is this? I had to ask Ken. I'm like, is this based on Tree Viz? Because and he had to tell me that it was so and I thought and I thought that that was so cool because the way it was filmed, I literally thought it was based on like tree visions. So I went and did research. So, That's awesome. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, there is so much that you can do with found footage actually, and it really the like it's. It's probably like just like limitless. Um, it just hasn't been that many great ideas with in the found footage um, arena. Very few, very few. A couple of years ago, almost four years ago, this come in October twenty seventh. It will be the four year anniversary of the short horror film that I actually starred in as one of the cameramans in the last story that we um, 
that the guy had, I should say. And that's an interesting story. I run a page on Facebook called Haunted Vermont because I'm from Vermont and I like the paranormal stuff. And um, what better way to try to get people around my area or if not anywhere together on a page and share their stories of Vermont haunting that they've experienced or whatever. So what the film indie film director did for this film called Dead Static, which you can watch the full short film on YouTube, and I will provide the link in the description below of this episode so you guys can watch it. But um highly recommend. It it um it features three actual haunted places here in Vermont. And the stories are based on fact and fiction a little bit. The fact would be, uh, like, example, with the first tale. It's called Emily's Bridge. There, that is actually the real name of the place. It's called Emily's Bridge. Uh, if you actually go there uh, about this time of day right now, you are uh, bound to possibly see a ghostly figure by the bridge you can for some reason the spirit does not like men so me ken and jed here are in for a world of hurt because she Uh-oh. likes to give us scratches and you want to uh, go ken <laughs> yeah it sounds like a typical and, evening uh, here at dk bedroom yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it it plays off of real things. Like if you shut off your car on the bridge, you, you're supposed to not be able to start it up. Or if you leave it off for a while, you're supposed to um, have the fog take over your car and you're supposed to see somebody walking around your figure. And then if you are on the bridge with your car, you're bound to get a scratch mark on your car. And there's just so many other things too, which if you, which, there is a site, there is a guy that did a site and four images of mine from back when I used to do the investigations are actually on the guy's site that I submitted to him. But you can go to emilysbridge.com or just go on Google and just type in Emily's Bridge and it should be like one or the first or if not the second link to come up. Anyway, the second story involved a cemetery here which is like known for like a <clears throat> and stuff like that um we it is also famous for our infamous story of the black agus which i'm just gonna stop there and just say not ever sit on her lap and if you do you better hope that you're still alive in about a week because <laughs> it is known that if you sit on her lap you will die and that's the urban legend of that statue. And finally, the so she, last so she one. Knows and then the last story that we have, the one that I'm in, features a like uh, a haunted house, an actual haunted house attraction, where a nurse that was treating uh, kids for a disease um, passed away because she got the disease herself. 
and she supposedly haunts the, the old building, even though people have claimed to see her. Uh, a friend of mine actually told me who runs the haunted attraction that one of the guests came out and was like, hey, you guys did a really good job with that uh, nurse on top of the stairs on the second floor. And the guy will be like, uh, we don't have a nurse. So if you could only imagine the facial expression you get after that, then there you go. The only thing that is fiction about the film is, of course, nobody had died. Uh, really, from the story that is provided here. But, Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler is right, but that is one of that we stayed at. No, nobody had died. <laughs> but at least you get a nice, cool, interaction-based, haunted Vermont thing. But as for my found footage moment, it would have to be it has it has to be done right. And uh I know now or it as it was coming back then, like with Cloverfield and stuff and Wreck. Wreck is a good example. Um the Spanish original film, not that piece of shit fucking US version called Quarantine, which is pretty much just the same thing as Wreck, but just done darker and did it you know you have to slap the label on thing quarantine but then you know then they make that other piece of shit sequel called quarantine um terminal or whatever the hell it was called which is just plain dumb don't even watch it dumb <laughs> but but then i won't lie we watched the new Blair which kind of going in skeptical about that we didn't mind it but there was some parts of it where we just felt it was very um, repetitive, I think it was. I would yeah, think. repetitive. So that would, like, really, I guess found footage to me is, like, it's cool. You can you definitely have a lot of freedom. I mean, when I was acting in the one that I did, I mean, I had so much freedom to really do whatever. And it was just more like, okay, well, how can I make this work to help them out too, meaning the filmmaker that I would win. So, but yeah, check it out. Dead Static on YouTube. My thoughts on found footage, like if I think like a couple of examples, like the Blair Witch movie. Um, I liked how that one was done. Like the short films, like has like found footage mostly, like the ones that we've been watching for Pro TV. Yeah, like yeah, those are some of those are like found footage. Well, I like Jed's. I like Jed's film with the found footage, and I don't care how many people out there are, you know, being jerks about it. Like, Paul showed me the other day, somebody poking fun about it, which was stupid. Yeah, we won't talk about that. But we won't talk about that. But I like. Hey. I, I liked Unlisted Owner. I like the found footage for that. I like the Blair Witch movie. Um, for found footage, I mean, there's certain found footage movies that are really good, and then there's some um, found footage movies that are just not very good at all. But my thoughts on it are, if if they're done well, then that's that's great. But but how much of it is found footage? If you know, if it could be a repeat from an older movie, like is it still considered found footage? Like, what do you, like, 
elaborate like, more of what you mean. Like, for example, that, that movie that you were talking about, um, like, like, Unfriended, like, is it the same thing as fan requests? Like, the whole Facebook thing? Like, the dark web one is supposed to be, like, found footage too, isn't it? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's that yeah. whole thing again where somebody More finds somebody footage. else's laptop yeah. and, and they noticed that they were on some mysterious dark web thing and that's when all hell fucking starts, I guess. Which you pretty much should not be messing around with the dark web anyways. Yeah. And that's kind of the one reason why I was saying um, dark web the new boogeyman because um, games seem to be having a fun time creating games now for the dark web and now it seems like maybe maybe after unfriended how many how many films are gonna maybe make something for the dark web kind of thing uh so it's gonna be interesting i guess so uh somebody actually did that actually same guy that i uh helped film that movie with he he made i want to say some type of weird dark web uh short film i don't know what to still around but it he it this time it involved like a like a monster which was kind of cool but i'm not gonna go too much into what's going on but it just like involved like a monster within the dark web so yeah they were just interested but to get back to your question though sheila um i've never seen friend request anyway again it looks stupid to me just like unfriended does so maybe, so maybe what happened was this friend request got accepted, right? And then maybe became unfriended because of the. Uh, well, they footage. said like uh, the whole friend request movie line was a Facebook request, but when you re- re- friend requested that person, somehow that person ended up dead, <laughs> and this friend request kept going around. So I don't know how. You know the whole screen and uh. Well, I haven't seen the movie, so if I had to guess, this friend request thing that was going around must have been like a hacker to figure out where you lived just to go kill you or something. That would be my two cents, and I've never even seen the movie. Well, I've seen a lot of trailers for it. I'm like, this it looks like the stupidest horror movie ever. What should I say? I would like to add one thing, though, for found footage uh, real quick. Uh, Whenever you do found footage, it it really is kind of a double-edged sword in a way uh, from an acting standpoint uh, because you want to make, for found footage, you want to make it seem as real as possible because if it seems scripted, you you know, you lose your audience uh, saying, oh, man, this is fake, you know. So you want to make it as real as possible, but at the same time, you know, like, for instance, with Unlisted Owner, you know, I had people calling, you know, me out for being friends with Gavin and Tyler because they were such douches to me. And it's like, that's not how they are at all. They were playing a character, but they played it so well that people actually think that's how they act in real life. And it's not the case at all. And, you know, it, it, and it's kind of a double edged sword because you want it to seem so real and flow so well that sometimes people lose themselves in the film and actually believe that what they're watching is real. So it's kind of like, you know, sometimes it's hit or miss. <laughs> mm. And for Jeb, uh, one thing with the found footage, what I, I find perplexing as a viewer is mm-hmm. this footage is supposedly found. 
and most Correct. of the time is by law enforcement. And it right. just perplexes me that these cops or whoever found the footage are great film editors because they put the the, the footage together so well into one film. Found right. footage, a good one. Let's say Rec, for example, is a prime mm. example of, okay, you know you're watching from the camera's point of view. The film is unedited. Right. It is going to... It has its transitions in a way that is so smooth that you don't know it's spliced together. And I think that's right. one flaw when it comes to the genre is uh, the filmmaker wants to make the footage found, but at the same time, he's right. making, he's editing it as a film. Right. And, and with Unlisted Owner, that's one thing that I did that I... Myself, I haven't seen enough found footage film besides my own, and that's why we put the evidence placards in there to kind of make those, you know, smooth transitions where it goes from one thing to the next, you know, a little bit more rough by putting those in there to say, okay, yeah, you are watching police footage. This is something that they would put as, you know, this is evidence. This is camera A. This is camera B. This is camera C. So you also know what camera is what. And that's kind of like what we tried to do for unlisted owner to kind of make it seem like, you know, all this guy did was basically he took the footage, he figured out what was corrupt, he threw it out, whatever he could salvage, he stuck it in there, did it, you know, you know, chronologically in order and then put the placards in there and told what days and what dates and stuff. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there is a lot of films out there where it's like, well, this is supposed to be found footage, but this thing looks, you know, you know, fantastic and stuff and that was part of the reason with unlisted owner i put those evidence placards in there that you know kind of broke it up to make it seem like yeah this is you know this would be this is what something a police department would do for evidence for a crime i i found that aspect of your film to be clever i say okay this makes sense <laughs> well i appreciate that <laughs> yeah I, and you kind of got some bashing on that didn't you yeah, yes, I did. Uh, I've had several people say that, you know, it took them out of the film or it would uh, add, uh, you know, then like, come on, come on. I want to know what happens next to it, which, you know, I mean, that's part of the film. You know, whenever someone's walking down a hallway really, really slow, you're like, come on, just get to that door, open that door. I want to see what's behind it. I just did it in a different way when I put those placards in there at different times not only to show, you know, what camera was what or different changes in times, but also kind of like add a little bit more suspense to it because with a found footage film, you don't have a musical score to help you out for suspenseful scenes. I mean, most horror films that people think are, you know, fantastic and they give you scares is because of the music. And, I mean, if you put it on mute and just have it playing on your TV, it's just like, okay, someone's walking down the hallway really slow. Okay, they open a door, you know. With a found footage film, you don't have that luxury of having, you know, music kind of set the stage for what's going to happen next. So you have to kind of get creative and to try to get those scares a little bit or add that suspense to it a little bit more by putting those, you know, maybe trying to break it up a little bit or, you know, you know, have heavy breathing or walk slower. You just kind of have to try to put these little things in there to kind of add that suspense to it so that if you shot a traditional film you'd have with a musical score no problem yeah i agree i agree i think that's maybe one reason why i like found footage a lot more too is just because without the music like you said it just makes it more real versus okay here comes that creepy music just wait for yeah. it about to get you know about to get to that right. point it's gonna like 
know, it's like, okay, here it comes, here it comes, and then the music stops, and you just already know what's going to come. And it's just like, okay, right. you already prepared me up for it. So just get it over with. <laughs> so, yeah, I do agree and that. For, for independent filmmakers that want to start out with found footage, my advice, they should re do their research on the video game industry. Most uh, horror games are first-person uh, survival horror. And just to build that camera work, uh, there's a lot of uh, references that can be used and translate that over to film. Case in point, Hardcore Henry, whoever hasn't seen it, they took a page out of Call of Duty. And look, it's fantastic. Uh, that really revolutionized found footage film for me. Uh, it gave me a, a lot of vertigo, just like the game, uh, but it, it was done very well. And that's a good source material, video games. Yes, yes, it is. And actually, that's what I majored in was uh, digital entertainment game design. So that kind of helped me with that because, I mean, all my other scripts in the past were all traditionally shot. So, you know, when you go into a found footage script, you have to look at it this way. If you have a, especially effects-driven scenes, like we had an unlisted owner. I mean, we had to build a set. It's not like a traditionally shot movie where, okay, you're setting the scene, you're you're in a hallway, okay, now you're in another room that may not even be in the same area where you're shooting at before. With a found footage film, unless you want to do these hard edits and make it all choppy, you have to make a smooth transition, and you also have to have in mind the point of view of where exactly you're going to be holding your camera to be able to get this special effect scene in there. And then you also have to remember, I have to blend this thing to make it look like one smooth transition and make it seem like, yeah, we're still in the house. You know, I just moved the camera really, really fast to focus on focus in on whatever. So you have to also keep that in mind. And it's, it is a challenge as a filmmaker. I mean, you don't have those luxuries of, you know, if you're going to do an effects-driven shot, you can set up all these different camera angles and everything else, and it will look, you know, fine in the edit no, ma no matter what. Whereas when you're doing a found footage film, you only have, you know, one shot with your actors to be able to get this transition in, and then whenever you do your effects-driven scene later, you're just like, oh, God, please let it blend fine. I, want, I don't want anybody to see the edits in there at all. So, I mean, it is a very strenuous and tedious task for sure. Yeah, I don't know if you heard me, but when we were talking, when Ken was talking about video games and you saying game design and stuff, um, I said take a book out of uh, like Outlast, like that. Yeah, very great game. Yep. Um, that is a found footage video game, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Even though the second one could have been better, but yeah, uh, that's all I'm gonna say. I'd just like to say one thing. I, I appreciate everybody on this podcast and, you know, DK Mac, everybody's support of Unlisted Owner. Uh, it wouldn't be where it's at today without any of your guys' support, and I greatly appreciate it. And thanks to everyone out there listening. If you haven't checked out Unlisted Owner, go check it out and let me know what you think of it, and I appreciate everyone's support. Uh, real quick, Jed, where can people find your Unlisted Owner? Uh, you can, if you're in the U.S., it's available on DVD through Amazon. Uh, DVD through Barnes and Noble, and also through Fye. Uh, and then, if you're streaming, you can stream it on Amazon. It's also available on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'll get my 15 cents. <laughs> uh, you can uh, stream it on uh, Google Play Store, YouTube, iTunes, and then my personal favorite, the Xbox. 
you can get it on your Microsoft Store. And then if you are outside the States, uh, I know it's available for streaming in the UK on Amazon as well. So, yeah, just let us know what you think of it. IMDb, rate it. <laughs> nice. Very awesome. I still don't think it's on PlayStation yet, but that's all right. One day. One, One day, day we hope. Film. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so... The next one we're going into is the upcoming video game, which I personally can't wait for it. I just hope that they do justice with it. It's called Kasulu, which is known by the infamous HP Lovecraft. Um, Tessa, what do you think of the upcoming game called Kasulu? It looks so good. Like, I'm so excited for it. Like, the graphics look amazing. I love the trailer. It just looks it just looks so good. It's like, it's literally like something out of HP Lovecraft. It just, like, come out of life. a book. Yeah, come to life. It just looks so amazing. I, like, watched the trailer with Paul, and I'm like, oh, my God, this game looks so good. And now I just need to uh, come out. <laughs> yep. Uh, Sheila, did you get a chance to see that uh -uh. trailer? Okay, well, oh what do you, do you are you familiar with HP Lovecraft at all or anything? <gasps> oh my god! Oh my god! What we need to fix okay, this? Um, uh, oh. before we terminate Sheila here, uh, with points <laughs> here, uh, Stacy, Stacy, what do you think of Call of Cthulhu? <laughs> um. I know next to nothing about Cthulhu. Um, but the trailer for the game was really, uh, really dark. And it's something that I definitely want to play. Uh, call, uh, this, the name always uh, tricks my, thung my tongue here. Call of Cthulhu. Cthulhu. Okay. Well, it's based on the Cassium tabletop role-playing game for those who did not know and also this game was originally announced back in january 2014 at the time frogware who also developed the sherlock holmes video games they were behind it but all of a sudden it went dark two years later we have an official steam page which was uh uploaded uh, i believe it was recently anyway anyway but I'm glad, well, fall 2018. Okay, that's the release date. I'm looking forward to this. It reminds me of how a survival horror role-playing game should be. I enjoy the graphics. I'm really in tune with the storyline. It, but it reminds me of the evil within in which the protagonist is lost in this weird world and he has to solve puzzles to get out uh if you like the evil within you like this one yes. yeah so it's a toss-up on that in that aspect but i i love the graphics uh, and and i want to see how far they stretch the horror if it's really suspenseful or is it that type of horror that you scream like a little girl when you have the turtle beaches headphones on your ears in a dark room so looking forward to this uh so so what you're saying is like like outlast like every time chris walker comes into the room Rattling his little chains. pig 
and <laughs> which I'll throw a fact out there again, just in case anybody new listening uh, doesn't know about this. But in case you guys have played Outlast and never heard of it, the original idea of Chris Walker for Outlast was once he grabbed you in the game, he would, in fact, was going to rape you. <laughs> I don't know how many people actually knew that, but that was the original idea concept from Red scary, Barrel. Scary, scary, but scary. they got rid of it because too graphic. It was one, it was too graphic, and two, who the fuck would actually continue a game like that after getting raped? Uh, <laughs> so they decided to just instead rip out your chest and whatever. So punch, punch your heart out. Yeah, or just, just Yank it whatever. Out. Really, I, just stop your face in. I guess the rape theme was popular because in fear two or fear three the protagonist gets raped by his sister <laughs> so yeah. yeah um i want to say that was two i believe I so yeah but wow rape getting raped by your sister <clears throat> and she has your kid that's twisted family values right there yeah I want to say that was Fear 2, because I think that the spoiler alert, as I'm going to say, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but I think everybody should know Fear 2 by now, how that ends, because it's very dark and twisted anyway. But that ending of Fear 2 is just like, wait, what? <laughs> and then they stop it. But, um, yeah. Jed, what are your thoughts on Call Kasul? Well, uh, I'm just I'm just gonna go back to Outlast real quick. I mean, I didn't figure that having your chest ripped out and your heart beat to death would be a better way of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> encountering that guy. So, uh, but that being said, uh, the game though it, it looks amazing. Uh, it almost reminds me of the first time I saw Bioshock, and I really got a, like a Bioshock type feel to this game. I remember the first time I ever saw the trailer for Bioshock and I knew nothing about it and it was coming out the following week and some of my friends in my game design cat class were like check this game out and I'm like oh my gosh I gotta get this <laughs> and I mean I kind of I got that same kind of feel of like how beautiful the graphics are and how you know realistic it it feels I mean I haven't been this excited to play a game since well a horror game since i played the first outlast and then also whenever i played the the game the park and this one i mean just i'm, I'm so excited i mean whenever you send me the the link and stuff i had read some stuff about it but i hadn't actually watched the trailer and i was just like wow this looks very very cool i mean did anyone else get a bioshock feel to it because I, I definitely did when i saw it <laughs> bioshock call control yeah, a little bit. Yes, coming from somebody who's played the Bioshock ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you're a big Bioshock gamer. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I've played I them. All. I've, I've played them all. Um, one and two are definitely my favorite out of the three. Yeah, yeah. My my the first one was my all time favorite, and then when I found out they were going to make a movie about it, I was just like, oh my gosh, please let it be true. And then they just kept tossing it around and it never went anywhere but i was like oh if they could just make it to a movie i'd be so excited 
Yeah, that went dark really quick. I think they did like a teaser trailer yeah. for that, and then it just went poof. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. Good news is, though, Jed, uh, the guy that we interviewed for, you may have heard of the uh, fan-made film for Silent Hill Requiem, Xenia uh, mm-hmm. Films. It's a guy yeah. named Garris, uh, Garris Morgan. He's actually yeah. playing in a Bioshock film. Oh boy, I'm I'm getting excited now. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, definitely check Genus Films out for that. And because um, I told, or no, he he mentioned that during our interview, and Tessa's face is just like. Yes, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it it definitely looks great, and I'm pretty sure everybody here got a chance to talk. I hope I'm trying to remember now, but uh, yeah, I definitely can't wait. And Ken, uh, you were cutting out a little bit, but what did you say the release date was that you saw? Uh, the comparison. Um. Uh, I think you were mentioning something about a release date for Call Call of Cthulhu or something on the Steam page or something. Oh yeah, the release date is set for fall 2018. Okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, that's what it states on the Steam because it's already on Steam. They have their page, they have pictures, they have a recent update was July 2nd, which is the E3 2018 trailer. All right, nice. Yeah, I just walked that trailer to the E3 one. That was really good, too. With the uh, cult behind the guy and stuff, it just looks nice. I definitely can't wait. And you guys should, too, if you like HP Lovecraft, except for one person that doesn't know HP Lovecraft in this room right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So, is is oh. he, Survival Horror changing now or because for those who may not know resident evil just they were going downhill with the action elements and just like dead space so are we seeing a a good resurgence of survival horror now i really hope so ken i really do um fingers are crossed (laughs) fingers are definitely crossed and there's another game that i'm actually uh I actually backed on Kickstarter that I can't wait because it looks promising. And that is called The Beast with uh, The Beast Inside, I believe. Uh, mm. It is on Steam, Ken, so you can search it right now. And uh, just check out that. I played, I got a chance to, when I backed it, I got a chance to have a hands-on demo. And let me tell you what, that environment alone is just phenomenal i mean the the idea of the puzzle for that game um is interesting as well they use um a certain device to unlock a puzzle which spell out faith in the demo i forget the uh the name of the device that you had to use but um I I never got used to the damn thing anyway, and I tried learning it a long time ago. I just never could understand it, but you'll see what I mean. And I'm pretty sure it's in the trailer. If not, just look up gameplay video, and you'll be all set. 
but yeah, the beast inside looks promising, and that's another one I can't wait for. Uh, so right now, real quick, we're trying to get through this as fast as we possibly can, uh, too. But it is DK Mag's turn to be interviewed. Oh, so, all that right. means it's kid's turn to be Are you interviewed. Guys ready? And then, uh... <laughs> Who is the ladies first? <laughs> Actually, wait, this time Stacy is safe. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Without further ado, the first question is for Ken. So, Ken, right. what inspired yes, you to create DK Mag? Well, of course, the appreciation and the love for horror films, but mostly it was because uh, when I first started DK Mag uh, as an aggregator site on Flipboard, it's, which Flipboard is an app that allows you to import feeds from other sources and what inspired me was uh, i would read the articles and i was like well, wait a second did this author actually watch the film i mean my opinions are really so dramatically different and i feel that in order to be a journalist there needs to be a certain level of presenting facts, not just opinion. Uh, that's what separates blogger uh, writing articles for detergent than a journalist. We, we are all journalists, and this is the content that we create. And spur of the moment, literally overnight, I told my wife, hey, I'm going to uh, buy the domain, uh, create the website. She said, go ahead, just as long as you don't go over budget. <laughs> And here we are right now. Everything from the podcast to writing to uh, Stacy uh, uh, tagging along uh, along with the process, learning experience and learning how to become better journalists, how to write for uh, online. So it's all such a wonderful, wonderful experience. That's awesome. Yeah, that like we told you to like you know. It started out just by listening to podcasts, and then I came home one day, and I kind of did the same thing in a way. Like I looked at Tessa, and I said, "said Hey, uh, we should do a hobby, and the hobby should be maybe a podcast because you and you and I both love the horror genre, and we'll see if we can do something with it. If not, then I wish we tried." We said, and then here we are a year and like five months later almost five months are you so it's, it's it's a nice ride and i mean from what i've learned within the year and who i've interviewed like jed here himself who happened to be a complete ass uh no i'm joking I'm joking jed what what <laughs> <laughs> um, fighting words um no i mean you know pretty much the idea of creating this podcast was to help tessa and i be more social because we were two people who just pretty much got home from work and just gave two shits about the world really and but then (laughs) but then you know we started to think like you know what we should at least try to meet new people, interact with people who love horror just 
as much as us and you know doesn't feel like everything needs to be scripted and stuff and whatever but yeah i i i just think that it's you know like you like ken you said it before if you need to in order for the monster to grow is you need to feed it in our case you know we we started out trying to do simple episodes of like whatever with our friends and stuff before we took on professional people like you can <laughs> yeah, thank you <laughs> and um you know who outschooled us when we were on your show because our i'm not gonna lie our show is probably not even as great as yours but you know we're still learning you know it's just our way of doing things and i know everybody else has their own way of doing things too which is fine and i guess that's just the way it's gonna be uh, I, i'm gonna piggyback off for you of your that last comment and it's it's most most uh podcasters when they start out i mean there is apps out there we have technology easily available and accessible to create a podcast and for those who do not know podcasting is the new shit now everything is quick uh alexa voice commands google home if you don't have it buy it uh, don't don't listen to the news and all this bullshit that they've seen that alexa's taking over your world no this is the future and as podcasters you need to jump on this shit now because in five years you're going to surf the internet with voice commands you're going to take a shit and listen to the news instead of reading the paper so if you're not on this now you're going to be left back and another thing most content creators when they first start out they create their website they put tons of ads don't do that that's one thing when we i started dk mag i said wait a second i don't want to see an advertising of a truck and this and that no i want to read your review and if you if you're dedicated just pull through and do it that's for example like youtube and you know the the content creators create 20 minute videos you don't want to see three ads in a matter of five seconds because that's going to basically turn you away from actually watching whatever they created or the review for a game yeah exactly. absolutely and and to touch on that youtube has some heavy competition uh one thing that since the beginning of DK Mag, I'm always in tune with the news on social media, what's happening, what's hot, what's not. And YouTube fucked over the content creators. They're not yeah. giving them the monetary compensation that they deserve, especially when you're creating paranormal videos, UFO videos, or quote-unquote conspiracy videos. That's why Facebook is creating Facebook Watch. Two weeks ago, Instagram unveiled Instagram TV. This the thing is changing fast. You have to jump on it. Yep, because it's like you said, Ken, it's the hot, it's the hot new thing. You know, it's like that new toy that you just got that you need to play with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what toy? Uh, <laughs> how did you know about that toy? <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, well, you never know, Ken. 
<laughs> um, Stacy, how did you land uh with DK Mag? Um, I started. I have made a post on I believe it was Movie Pilot, and it was my very first post, and um, <clears throat> it was a film review, and Ken saw my post and he started talking to me about DK Mag and uh, asked me to become a, I, I guess, writer on it. I've been with DK Mag. It was actually, I, I haven't even posted on Movie Pilot again after that. <laughs> so I've been with DK Mag ever since. So good. That's kind of like um, me and you, <laughs> for example. We met pretty much on Discord, not knowing each other from a hole in the wall, and becoming good friends. And now I do game reviews for horror game reviews for their YouTube page. That's right, you do. Just like I found another guy who did uh, movie reviews on Instagram. I actually contacted him one day and I said, Hey, uh, I noticed you post a lot of movie reviews on Instagram. Do you happen to? actually posted on any sites and he's like no so i'm just like hey how would you like to start using um wordpress with us and you can post as many reviews as you want and that's how we got that guy and uh he's done really good stuff so if you ever see an article come up on our website by the author cannibal kid that's him you can also see, find him on Instagram for Cannibal Kid Reviews. Definitely check him out because sometimes he posts uh, reviews on his Instagram that is not on our site. So check, definitely check him out. He's been good to us, just like I'm going to be good to him. So good job, Dustin. I'm yeah, giving yeah. you a shout out, buddy. All right, yeah, Ken, yeah. back yes, to sir. you. Yeah. So, Ken, did you ever think DK Mag would get this far when you first before when you first started? When I first started, it was uh, as you had mentioned. It's a it was a hobby project, and once I, I tell you not, kid you not, as much as people when they start their platform, I've I've seen it recently on Twitter. Uh, someone posted to say, "Oh, how do I get more followers?" Mo what don't, don't worry about the followers worry about the content and that's what I, I just started writing 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 and all of a sudden uh pr reps got in contact with me uh movie distribution got in contact with me and literally in less than what four months my inbox was exploding and i just couldn't keep up with it and it was like writing 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 i love it i love horror i've met so many uh film directors film producers uh, it's it's fantastic to be able to present uh filmmaking and video games and everything else that is in the horror genre so i'd never expected this to to explode so fast it's so quickly and for those who are not ready for that I suggest you 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 lace up your boots or your panties or whatever you're wearing and uh, start worrying about content and not worrying about the followers. That's so true in so many ways because 
that's the issue with a lot of YouTubers. Like, they worry so much about the followers and the content go downhill because of the, what do they call it? Sub for sub content bull crap that they were going yeah, around. Yeah, sub for sub, for fall, that type of shit. Yeah. Yep. It's sad. And there are so many ways you could change your content. Uh, our YouTube channel is like <laughs> terrible. Uh, and But it doesn't phase me because we write articles. We do a podcast. We're exploring different avenues to provide our content. Stacy and I, we do Instagram Live uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. So it's all about uh, presenting your content different ways, having fun with it. Uh, and just just go with it uh, don't worry about anything else so especially followers and don't be the idiot buying followers on instagram so you can keep up your your statistics that's just bullshit well now they have follow bot which bots give you 10 times more followers when you're live streaming or anything really now yeah yeah. Oh man. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> it, with all these crap that like, 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 where where do we go? Well, it could be worse. Start having to pay for your post like Facebook. Hey oh. Um. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, you. That's a good point though. Uh, definitely, content is the number one focus rather than the numbers. Like you said, the numbers will show after. It's just the content you're gonna want people to come back and read your content so yeah i mean yeah that's what's yeah i mean it's just like youtube you want content so that people come back and watch your content so i mean if you have one video you're not gonna get two million subscribers <laughs> exactly and you post one show, you post one uh, uh, podcast. It's the same as uh, in Jeb's case with his film. He created his film. It just takes that one person to reach out to and connect with in the audience. And he'll say, yo, this this guy knows what he's doing. I love him. I'm going to be uh, waiting for his next film. I'm going to be waiting for his next content to come out. So that's what you need to rely on is that one, two, three, four, five people in the audience that you connect with and they, they'll multiply eventually to 15, 20, 25, 100. Patience is the key. Stacy, what has been your favorite DK Mag episode? Oh, are you talking about uh, the podcast episode? Yes. That <laughs> would have to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh oh. Uh oh. Can you narrow it down to yeah, three? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Putting her on the spot. She's like, "Oh man, I gotta think." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hostie, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, de I definitely have to say, um, with Paul and Tessa, uh, everything horror. That was a that was a fun podcast. It was very insightful. Well played. Well played. So, 
I have to say, yeah, I have to say, I'm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we don't run into, uh, are we going to eat that? <laughs> I knew yeah, somebody I was going to come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken. So, you ready for this one? Uh-oh, here what? we go. Yeah, what are your thoughts on the paranormal? The paranormal, I am 60% interested, 40% skeptic. I believe there is an afterlife, but if you come to think of it and you group everything paranormal together, it, it almost seems comical in a way because you have the poltergeist, you have the ghosts, you have aliens, you have werewolves. Uh, do they have their own community going on? Do they all meet together, say, okay, we're going to go hunt this house over here? So in that aspect, I'm kind of a skeptic, but I'm also interested because we don't know what's in the afterlife. We don't know if you build a house on sacred ground, uh, things could come out and haunt you. Uh, take, for example, the Skinwalker Ranch. I mean... There's so many reports of weird shit. Not only werewolves, but you have aliens and you have ghosts all concentrated on this piece of land. So it's it's interesting. And I envy you, uh, um, Paul, because you've investigated the paranormal. That's something I would love to do just to pacify the skepticism that I have on that area. Well, I hope with um, the video that I posted today and the one previous will help you uh, help your uh, skepticism out just a little bit. So, <laughs> if not, then I guess I failed. But I <laughs> be honest, say the video previous to the one that I released today is by far one of my favorite moments ever. And I'll just let the video uh, speak it rather than me saying it. So mm -hmm. I just I just like it. I just think it's just really cool how that came to be. And just the way it worked out is just amazing. Which I don't know if you've seen it, Ken. The Finding Ralph one. Did you ever see that? The one that you had sent me on Twitter. I believe so. Should have been called like Finding Ralph, I believe. I think that's the one I sent you. <laughs> uh, going back to my notes now. <laughs> but, but in in any event, yeah, my mother had an experience when she was a a, a young woman in uh, growing up in the countryside of Panama. Lots of paranormal. That up is uh, when I went to visit. Uh, Panama. Uh, I had a paranormal experience, but I did not open my eyes. I kind of wish I did uh, when I was sleeping and I felt something like forcing me to wake up, uh, shoving my shoulder. And yeah, everybody was accounted for. There was nobody in the house at the time. But uh, my wife, unfortunately, in her country of Puerto Rico, she opened her eyes. And to this day, she does not want to even describe what she saw, but 
she said it was demonic because when she started reciting the uh, our father in spanish the, the thing started screaming and disappeared hey i i want to see some poltergeist activity and uh i'm i'm so anxious to, for that to happen or oh, some type of demonic activity i'm so just curious <laughs> Well, the skepticism I, needs to be cured. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, like I said, I hope in a way my videos will help in a way too. Kevin Stacy, who would you love to interview if given the chance? Stacy, take that one. I'll follow you. Ladies first. I would have to say, I think I would love to interview um, probably Robert England. Dressed up as Freddy Krueger. Krueger's Freddy Krueger, yeah. The, the guy sounds cool. He's like an icon. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. Well, you know, you go to, like, these, like, horror conventions, and, like, I know who goes to horror conventions a lot, and they've met Robert England. They've met, you know, just... I would love to be able to go to a horror convention and interview like Robert Dean and everything, but it's got to be in character, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. <laughs> that would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken. Who would you like to interview or love to interview if given the chance? Hmm, that's a that's a that's an interesting one. Uh, who would I like to interview? Uh, wow, I would have to say, I would like to re-interview someone that I had a previously uh, already interviewed, and only because uh, his philosophies on transhumanism and technology and ai it's so phenomenal and so profound and i'm referring to ronan harris the lead singer for vnv nation i interviewed him once and we had a great conversation about those topics i delivered zero questions about his music that spans over 25 years so for me to sit down one-on-one -on -one again with him that would be great for those who haven't heard of his music, it's more of a electro industrial type of music, but he branches out into classical as well. And each song is just explores this uh, revolution, mankind. And it's, yeah, I would love to do that again. Awesome. Awesome. Those are always good. Uh, just like Jed, I know, I'm pretty sure Jed. Does not ever want to come back to our show because of the way we harassed him so bad. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm Jed, on it right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jed, guess what? What's gonna, that? I'm next. We're gonna put you back on the hot seat, buddy. Before he does, do oh, him. Does Jed have any questions for that he wants Ken, to ask Ken and Stacy? <laughs> Well, I think you guys pretty well summed up all the questions that I was going to ask. You know, I was always curious of, you know, like, you know, about paranormal stuff, like how he felt on that and who, if he could interview anybody. If, if I could interview anybody, it'd be Ben Lon Chaney. I would have asked if it had been living or dead. But 
<laughs> but I mean, maybe if I bring Paul with me to his grave, maybe I could interview him. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, but no, you guys, DK Mag has been, you know, very supportive of Unlisted Owner and my dream of being a filmmaker. And, you know, Ken, Stacy, I, I mean, I'm, I'm indebted to you guys for all the help and publicity you've helped you know, get the word out about Unlisted Owner. And I appreciate you take, taking a look at the movie and, you know, and let me know what your thoughts were on it and give me a blurb I could, you know, use in Screen Magazine even. So I appreciate that. <laughs>